Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hi, I'm Karen Berardo, Executive Vice President of Emerging Markets for M&W Group. If you're looking for the best info and tips on how to develop and sell solar in Latin America, look no further. Welcome to Suncast with my friend, Nico Johnson. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey there, it's good to have you join us today. I love hearing from you, and I really enjoy all the fun little heartwarming voicemails and LinkedIn messages I've been getting. Keep it coming. You know, you just click on that leave a voicemail button at mysuncast.com. So easy, you can even do it from your iPhone. On that note, a quick shout out to Scott Muller over at Solar Lead Factory. Really appreciate you being a faithful listener and a solar warrior, man. And to Hubertus Hellenthal, an enterprising German college student finishing his studies in Puebla, Mexico. Hey, thanks for the message and the feedback, buddy. Somebody in Mexico needs to hire this guy as their summer biz dev intern before he hightails it back to Germany. And one last truly heartfelt thank you. By the time you've heard this, Suncast will likely already have surpassed an amazing milestone, at least for me, of 10,000 downloads. I literally owe it all to you. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. So, in honor of hitting 10,000 downloads, the first 10 people who tweet or share this episode on LinkedIn will get a Suncast sticker in the mail. Remember to tag me in the share so that I can count it and I'll reach out and get your information. Well, today on Suncast, you get to meet my friend Manan Parikh of GTM Research. Many of you know who Manan is, but for the uninitiated, Manan is the analyst at GTM who authors the quarterly LATAM PV playbook. Basically, the Bible on all things solar for Latin America, from market size and market potential to who specifically is doing what in the region. I, I love catching up with Manon as he always has his finger on the pulse of what's hot in the region. And this week, he's fresh off publishing the latest report, and he's particularly excited about a few markets. Thanks again for taking the time to be here. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Manon Parikh. Today, we've got Manan Parikh on the show. He's a solar analyst for Green Tech Media Research, covering downstream Latin America markets. And he's also the author of Green Tech Media's quarterly LATAM PV playbook. Prior to GTM, his work has primarily been extensive research-based for companies like the Schatz Energy Research Center and UC Berkeley. I guess those aren't companies, but they're nonetheless important entities. He's also worked on policy with ACOR, 
He was an inaugural fellow of the Clean Energy Leadership Institute. He's an all-around policy wonk, and he joins us today from his offices in Washington, D.C. Manan, welcome to the show. Nico, thank you very much for having me on. I guess, are you in Washington or are you in Boston? I'm in Boston. I'm from Washington, That's but right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now a Bostonian, adopted Bostonian, I guess. Yeah. Well. Uh, I dropped my R's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, uh, you know, you cover the global solar markets with, uh, with GTM for a while and started to focus a lot on LATAM uh, when you sort of took over the job for our first guest, Adam James at GTM. Mm -hmm. How's that going for you? You having fun? I love it. So my director, MJ, and I were, were chatting a couple of weeks ago, and he had asked me how things were going and, you know, whether I'm, I'm enjoying covering the space. And, you know, what I said to him was, was you know, exactly what I'll tell you. It's, it's probably one of the most fascinating regions to be covering, not only from a solar perspective, but from an energy perspective. Um, you're looking at quite a revolution in a lot of these countries from a policy standpoint where, you know, governments are really recognizing that there is a need not only for energy, um, but there's also a need for uh, sustainable energy and, and cleaner build outs and, you know, just kind of an overhaul of, of systems. Mm. And I think what you're seeing in places like Mexico uh, places now like Argentina, um, a place like Chile, for example, is our country is utilizing technology and, you know, utilizing breakthroughs in development uh, to, to really push forward the, the, the clean energy revolution there. And you're seeing lower prices. You're seeing, again, as I mentioned, policy updates. Um, and I think the consumers will reap the benefits of that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a changing landscape in Latin America. It's changing more quickly than a lot of other global markets. So in, in light of that, I'm wondering if there are, you know, at the outset, any major shifts that have happened in the last couple of quarters that we should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, just having this conversation about a year ago, um, we were probably talking about the energy transition law in Mexico and the clean energy um targets that they had set there, but we weren't really sure about uh, the actual results or, or what the outcomes of that would be in 2016. There was a lot of conversation, um, you know, at our, at our Solar Summit Mexico conference that, that you know, the two of us were at, um, talking about a lot of the challenges and speculations around whether solar would have a place in this new world of uh, of energy in, in Mexico. And I mean, the results there were stunning in that Mexico contracted over 4,200 megawatts of solar in both of its auctions combined. And, uh, you know, at the same token, at that time a year ago, we weren't even talking about Argentina. Argentina just kind of in in the second quarter of 2016 uh, really made a lot of noise in terms of, you know, the president really rededicating a lot of his efforts and, and policies towards, um, you know, 
clean energy projects in the country and, and you know, created an auction driver for the utility scale um, and, and made it possible for, for things like net metering and, and so on uh, in, in the distributed generation space. Yeah, we're absolutely going to talk a lot more about Argentina. It's one of uh, it's one of the things that I'm extremely curious about. One of the things that surprised the hell out of me was the not only did they uh, go ahead and actually run an auction, not only have they uh, ratified their legislation to include uh, uh, favorable policies for solar and other renewables, but they they officially named 2017 the year of renewable energy in Argentina. It's it's supposed to be written on every government document. It's literally like the theme of the year for for Argentina for 2017. <laughs> yeah, I I was actually quite shocked when I saw that in in some of the articles as well. And it was it's quite a bold prediction and a bold statement by the government. Um, just based on the sheer fact that renewables and especially you know to break that down further non-hydro renewables in argentina make up a really tiny fraction of what's part of the mix right now in the country mm, yeah and so you know on the one on the one hand i can really see that they're serious about you know their renovar uh round auction rounds and and clean energy targets um but by the same token it's it's also Argentina and Argentina mm -hmm. historically has had a track record for, you know, not finishing what they start, um, you know, pushing things back a bit uh, as far as especially electricity development goes. And so while I truly appreciate the enthusiasm and think that it's awesome uh, for the sector, it's, it's certainly going to inspire a lot of uh, confidence in investors and developers. Um, I think for some of us out there who are who are third party folks kind of need to temper our enthusiasm mm. uh, just a little bit uh, on that front until you know we we start seeing concrete uh, evidence that that this stuff is actually happening interesting so um so I guess I would love to just dig into this a little bit more and uh, and we'll move things around in terms of the order we were going to go here. But I was surprised at some of the reasons they gave in this announcement of the year of renewable energy. The, the first thing that struck me is that their goal is 20% by 2025. <laughs> That's eight years away. Um, and I, I, asked, yeah. I asked myself a couple of questions and there there's one sort of embedded answer that the 2016 tenders supposedly yielded a 6% coverage of, re of renewables over for the existing demand. But really, what is the actual number that 20% by 2025 represents for renewables? Like what's baseline now? And is that based on, you know, 2025 demand? Or is that over 2016 demand? Do we have any clarity on that? Yeah, so all governments in general, um, when they're crunching numbers, they tend to look at what is the um, you know, projected energy demand by a given year. And so Argentina has, has certainly done their homework um, in, in, you know, the, the energy information department there uh, to figure out exactly what's going to be needed. And so when it breaks, when it, you kind of break down the exact capacity that is needed of clean energy, it breaks down to being 20 gigawatts of new capacity. Um, of total energy needed by by 2026. 
So yeah. if you if you parse that apart a little bit further, total energy can mean obviously everything from non-conventional renewables to conventional renewables like hydro to also just conventional fuel sources like natural gas, um, coal, and, and so on and so forth. So assuming that there's uh, the impetus for 20%, you can take the 20% of 20 gigawatts, or you can look at it in, in, in a couple of, of, of you know, different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Argentina is estimating that 20 gigawatts of, of new capacity is expected to come online in the next day. Uh, and obviously those 20 gigawatts can break down into conventional fuel sources as well as renewables, but they've mandated that over half of that capacity, uh, should come from, from non-hydro renewables. And if we're to assume 2016 is, is, uh, reading the tea leaves kind of year mm -hmm. in what can happen in, in, in future years, um, you know, it's it's not out of the question that by 2025, 2026, solar has about eight gigawatts of uh, of the market share in Argentina, and I mean that's quite significant for a country that has you know very little right now. And you know, I'm projecting 2018 to be a breakout year for them uh, with wow. with over 500 megawatts to come online. That's astounding. 500 yeah. megawatts from nothing, basically. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it is it is truly fascinating, and it's another uh, it's another example at at how governments um, can use policy to spur development if they so choose to. And I mean, you know, we're we're in a time right now here in in the United States where that's certainly the case, and and um, you know, in in however you want to look at it, whatever side of, of, of the coin you look at it. But in, in Latin America, especially, um, from an energy perspective, governments really uh, have a lot of say in, in how they want the country to move or what direction they want the market to move in. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So of the 500 megawatts, incidentally, in 2018, you're saying that's solar? Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm venturing that it's going to be more than 500 megawatts. Uh, it should be anywhere from 500 to 750. Um, and, you know, it's, and that's of just pure PV demand in, in Argentina. And how much of that's going to be fulfilling the utility tenders versus, uh, versus just new development that has nothing to do with utilities, just tapping into what the market incentive? So I think we'll see a lot of that um, coming from the utility tenders. There will be a couple of early projects that complete um, <clears throat> by, you know, before their CODs and, and interconnect. One of the things to remember for all of these projects that have been tendered out so far in Argentina is they've all they've all gone through sort of a, a vetting process mm -hmm. so that. Um, the government has looked at what the what the nodal loads are in in Western Argentina, where the insulation levels are highest, and assessed whether or not a project of a certain capacity, if it were to come online, whether it will overload uh, a specific node. And so, because all of these projects have passed those initial criteria, more or less 
you know, the quicker they're able to develop and, and start feeding into um, the grid, uh, the quicker they're able to to start getting those returns on their PPAs. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, I imagine that uh, you go over more than just Argentina, which I'm sure shows up now for the maybe the first time in the playbook. What do you think? Uh, you, and you guys just released the newest uh, quarterly playbook last week, right? Yeah. So the the quarterly playbook was just released, um, and and you're absolutely right about Argentina. We uh, <laughs> we we covered the market, um, you know, from from kind of a, a very broad perspective in more of a speculative manner um, before 2016 in terms of, you know, what policies might be in place or, or, you know, what could possibly take place in the market. But, you know, it's no longer the wild card in Latin America. It's, it's uh, a market that's to be taken very seriously. And um, we especially cover it in, in much more depth on a, on a quarterly basis uh, here at GTM. Now in the playbook, you guys go into a lot more depth around who the players are in the market, what the quarterly uh, the quarterly structure in terms of market demand is going to be, how it's broken out into utility, industrial, uh, even residential. Do you think there is anything in there that your subscribers are going to be really uh, surprised by or in particular pleased with? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we've been talking about Argentina quite a bit, but to to exit out of of you know that market for a moment and to look at a market a market like mexico um breaking it down from a segmentation standpoint i think it's going to be really interesting for our subscribers to see um you know the progress and the market share that distributed generation has uh in that country and in mexico right and We've we've talked quite a bit about these utility scale auctions um, in in Argentina and around Latin America, and you know utility scale auctions are a, a means and a vehicle in which a lot of projects can can kind of get off the ground in a very sustainable fashion, a viable fashion, um, financially speaking, for developers and and you know for folks who are trying to seek return on their investment. But what kind of gets lost in in the whole utility scale bonanza is the fact that DG takes uh, a sizable market share and has a really promising uh, place in several large LATAM markets, Mexico being one of them and Brazil being the other. Mm, yeah, of course. And it's one of, one of those interesting things where we see in the U.S. market, for example, now Andrew Beebe just wrote a nice article um, uh, last week on uh, the long tail, right, and how the mm -hmm. mom and pop sort of small uh, installers are taking over the market again. And not only that, they're the most profitable. Uh, and I wonder if that's something that we're going to see uh, hold true, not just in the U.S., but throughout the Americas. Yeah, and I think, you know, on that note, you kind of look at um, – overall market share in, in a, a country like Brazil. And with all of the issues that they've had, uh, economically speaking, with them being in a recession, a continued recession, you know, some political upheaval with the impeachment of their president, just a lot of these macroeconomic factors, uh, even pertaining to climate 
and climate change where they were in a severe drought for the past couple years. And then 2016, all of a sudden the rains came and all those hydro generation uh, or the, the hydro reservoirs started filling up again and, you know, really injected a ton of uh, electricity back into the grid uh, that wasn't wasn't there before. And what all of that means for for solar and specifically utility scale solar is that it's kind of like it's a, it's a very boom or bust and, mm. and volatile um, volatile uh, segment to be in. Mm -hmm. And you know, especially in the Brazils, where if if there is enough hydro generation, all of a sudden, well, you know, the government's not going to be paying as much attention to adding new capacity because there's more than enough capacity. Yeah, there's an there's an oversupply in Brazil. Yeah. Um, in fact, start they start canceling auctions that they absolutely, and they, they canceled two of them in in 2016 alone. And uh, so, you know, what does that exactly mean? And 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 that's where we kind of shift the conversation then to distributed generation and look at some of these projects, uh, you know, from a self supply small power producer standpoint, and start to identify what kind of the, the, what utility scales loss may be is going to start being DG's gain at the end of the day and smaller projects that, you know, either can be behind the meter or, um, you know, remote net metering projects, for example, add much more value, um, from, from a economic standpoint for, you know, customers to procure, uh, electricity in the long haul, as opposed to some of these really massive utility scale projects. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. I heard a rumor, but haven't confirmed yet, that there's some legislation passed in Mexico or kind of over the holidays that mm -hmm. may affect the DG market there. Could you shed some light on that? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually positive news uh, for the DG market there uh, in Mexico. And one of the major, one of the major, I think, aspects of the rule change uh, there is the fact that interconnection times have been cut down to 18 days. So previously um, through CFE, there was this uncertainty as to exactly how long a system might have to connect into the grid. Um, that's no longer the case. Now it's actually signed into law that that it's a, a max of 18 days and oh, wow. in, in more more or less cases um you know that that tends to hold true and and once the actual law goes into effect the other main thing is uh like the net metering 2.0 uh stipulation is out or the net metering 2.0 um law in mexico is out so it changes the interconnection limit uh, to 50 kilowatt system sizes for residential and small commercial. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, that, that would be 50 kilowatts for small commercial and from 10 kilowatts to 25 kilowatts for residential. And so with what it comes down to on the commercial side is rising prices uh, in, in sort of these uh, low, it's, Baja, it's the Baja Tension, the lower lower tension commercial, uh, T, yeah, T T2 and T3 tariff classes have increased um, almost 
23% year on year from December of, of 2015 to December of 2016. And we can go into that a little bit more uh, in a bit. But uh, small commercial is especially impacted by this because, you know, for folks to be able to now uh, use net metering up to 50 kilowatts, um, it's it's going to have a huge impact on the industry. It's going to open up a lot more opportunities for installers there. On the residential side, the customer pools uh, in the DAC tariff class mm -hmm. still apply. That's still sort of the the main low-hanging fruit from the residential standpoint. And uh, even that tariff class has increased almost 20% year on year uh, if you take a blended average of all of the regions in, in Mexico. So by increasing system sizes that can that can interconnect uh, and, and take advantage of net metering, I think that'll provide a boon to uh, the, the DG segments there in Mexico. And especially, you know, being able to inter interconnect a lot quicker will uh, will also kind of help help in that regard. Yeah, and this is, uh, so the net energy metering before was capped at what? It was capped at, at 10 kilowatts for, um, uh, for residential and 25 for small commercial. So basically doubled. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't impact the, uh, up to 500 kilowatt system size, which basically doesn't require, require a permit. Right. So up to, up to 500 kilowatts, uh, you're still, so in between, uh, 50 and, and 500 kilowatts, mm -hmm. you're required to, to enter into uh, the net billing scheme. And with net billing, it, it obviously allows you to enter uh, net sale. So net sale is actually really interesting. Um, it allows system sizes under 500 kilowatts to sell directly into the nodal price. And the nodal prices around Mexico um, are different, obviously, based on the amount of of generation in the area that are that's on the grid um so if you kind of look at a place like yucatan or baja california the nodal prices are much higher because there's a lot less generation and and built out capacity also the grid structures in those areas are not as um not as uh, built out as some of the central portions of the country whereas you know, if you're in uh, Mexico City or, or Guanajuato or Monterrey, Jalisco, you're looking at uh, definitely lower nodal prices. So with net sale, you can sell your generation excess generation back at that price. And I was actually chatting with someone the other day uh, about about some of the like these net sale and 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 you know nodal prices, and you can actually download an app which allows you to see all that stuff uh, in real time and looking at the day ahead prices uh, that you are selling back into. So I think it's a, it's a pretty neat transition that Mexico has undergone over, uh, you know, over the last year. That's phenomenal. You can download an app to see what your price is going to be if you are a net sale uh, customer. Absolutely. That's I mean, yeah, <laughs> not so, a bad deal. So uh, up to 50 kilowatts net energy metering, which basically means you get paid back what you otherwise would have been charged. And That's then, correct. Yeah, and then net sale, uh, you anything you export off-site gets paid back to you at the nodal price for the region. Correct. Okay. Yep. Quite interesting. And then obviously 
as per usual, up to 500 kilowatts is basically an over-the-counter permit in Mexico. It's a really simple process. Right. Yeah. It is. And, and I mean, it, I think the permitting process is, is starting to um, take shape a little bit more because what you're going to start seeing in the coming months and years is CFE is no longer the is not only going to be the only, uh, you know, the only game in town with the market opening up CFE is kind of becoming this hybrid public private sort of entity. And they're even starting up their own solar business soon and competing directly with installers. And so in order to sort of compensate for that direct, uh, conflict of interest, um, Sanase is now in charge of interconnection. They're in charge of uh, the permitting process and things like that uh, in, in working in conjunction with CFE um, to make sure that there aren't those, you know, thorny sort of situations where, you know, installers and stuff like that are, are basically having to fight with, uh, you know, the regulatory body or, or, or um, you know, the the basically the governing body uh, yeah. to to get some of their projects off the ground because that's not that's not an open competition then and that that totally defeats the purpose of what Mexico is trying to do in the first place yeah well it'll be interesting uh, CFE has had uh, a, an entity called CFE solar for mm -hmm. actually a couple of years registered on the books sort of in yeah this. so it'll be interesting to see where the Mexico DG market evolves uh, and and certainly the wholesale market is uh, is going to be a completely new landscape uh, over the course of the next 18 months in terms of uh, the new sure. the new rules, the new the new playing and pecking order in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite an interesting place, and we'll be there uh, in in less than a week. I'm actually leaving on on Saturday for Mexico City, where we're having a a research briefing there. So we'll get to connect with some of the solar folks down in the space over there, and you know, hopefully have a lot of good conversations and gain some more clarity into, um, you know, what all is, what all is taking place. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That should be really good. If it's anything as, uh, as good as the last event you guys held, I expect that those who attend the GTM Mexico briefing are going to walk away with their, uh, with their pockets full of <laughs> good information and, and it should be, it should be fun networking as well. Hey, Absolutely. I, I'm gonna, I, I, before we get too in depth in every single market, um, I, I've, I'm bringing back the ever popular hot or not. Uh, we've obviously talked on, on a few of these markets, so we'll just. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective. Sorry, I wanted. Yeah, I was paying attention, and uh, I just wanted to make sure you didn't get too far into it. Good call. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't paying attention, and I looked down, and I was like, "Whoa, I bet we went over time." Okay. So before we get too deep into any of the other. Uh, heavy markets here i want to back up just a minute and get pull back a, a game that i like to play called hot or not so i'll name a market you take a little bit to explain your response as to whether or not you think the market is hot or not and uh and we'll probably drill down some more into some of these uh more specific markets but let's just start where we left off with mexico hot or not okay hot mm. for sure hot uh and it, it we, you know, we're talking about some of the distributed generation laws that have changed over the past month or two. But, you know, just looking beyond that and looking at 
the pipeline that has swelled um, on a utility scale standpoint, mm -hmm. there's really nowhere but up from here. Um, Mexico, for the longest time, has been somewhat of an underachiever on the solar front uh, in terms of just kind of getting projects off the ground and, and all that. But now I think with policy regulations changing the way that they are um, in favor of solar and especially the cost competitiveness uh, mm -hmm. that solar has been able to enjoy in Mexico um, as low as, you know, 33 megawatt, $33 per megawatt hour uh, PPA prices. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of the, the age old, it's only a matter of time mm -hmm. adage in, in Mexico. And yeah. It's not if it's, it's now when, and, Absolutely. and you know, I think, I think 2017 is, is sort of that, that breakthrough year for Mexico right now. I think there's Saner is reporting a little under 300, um, megawatts of, of installed capacity, but I think they're looking at that from, from an AC AC standpoint, hmm. looking at that number in DC, which is what, you know, we, we tend to do in, in market research, that number is, is well over 350 megawatts of, of installed capacity. And, um, we're going to definitely see that double in 2017, if not more. Um, and, and so hot. Yeah. Hot, hot. <laughs> Gonna stay we, that way. We, yeah, we talked about Argentina, and I know you think that market is hot. Yes, so Argentina's hot. Um, again, with not only the first round of of energy auctions in September there, but there was so much demand for PV that they kind of had to go back and do an overflow round in November. Wow. And in November, they actually contracted more PV uh, than they did in the original September round, mm -hmm. over 500 megawatts. Maybe. So, you know, that's another hot market. Um, and, and they're going to continue introducing through their Renovar, um, their Renovar program. Every year out to 2025, they will continue introducing tenders, um, and, you know, more vehicles and policy drivers for PV to, uh, you know, start gaining more traction and market share there. So uh, what's, what's, what's a good place for someone to track if they wanted to see what's happening in Argentina? Uh, you know, I'm I'm in uh, full full belief that Argentina's government, you know, up there with Chile, for example, they're kind of on the cutting edge in terms of uh, data tracking and, and things like that. And so if you go to their ministry of, of, uh, energy website, um, especially their, their data website, it's kind of like the Argentina equivalent of EIA. It's, uh, it's tremendous as far as information goes. And the acronym for that is M I N E M. Minem. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't say the PV playbook. <laughs> well, good on you. Good on you. So let's go over to the neighboring country of Chile. Hot or not? So I'm going to take a bit of a neutral stance uh, for Chile uh, and not say hot or not. And, uh, you know, Chile has been the king in Latin America for PV for several years now. They're approaching about two gigawatts of installed capacity. Uh, but 
with kind of the ebb and flow of the market there is their major interconnection project. So the northern grid of Chile with the central grid, uh, they're undergoing a major interconnection project, which will link um, the, the two grids together and eliminate you know, grid congestion and bottlenecks. So with the solar resources up north right now, there's a lot of projects in the waiting um, that, you know, they can't interconnect because there's basically nowhere for some of this generation to go without overloading um, the grid with with generation. And so um, that's that's kind of forced a lot of developers to be in a, a wait and see mode or a standstill mode for them to either secure components or financing for some of these projects. And so while you see a bit of, uh, uh, you know, this gigantic pipeline of announced projects, uh, there's only uh, a few that are actually undergoing construction. And that's a major, that's a major product of that um, interconnection there. And so once that barrier is removed in 2018, hmm. uh, I think we'll start to see the market take off a lot more back to sort of the normal Chile levels of, you know, 500 megawatts a year and do you, more. Do you think that'll st- still be uh, the large scale type deals or it'll be the more PMGD up to nine megawatt style deals? Yeah. And that's another good point that you bring up. I think that in Chile, especially, I think that the days of multi hundred megawatt projects are numbered. Um, they're just not kind of reaping the same spot market returns that they once were um, this what year. Seeing, what are we seeing spot at? I think that's what you might be going. Uh, spot market right now. I think if you look at the average, it was about like 57 or something like that dollars. Um, and again, it's, it's seasonal. So when, uh, you know, it's summertime snows have melted and, and reservoirs fill up again, that spot market crashes during the, during the winter time. Um, it, it, you know, starts to, starts to rise again without all of that, that excess hydro generation. And in times of drought, like right now, um, we're seeing, a bit higher of a price, but you know that that's not going to last forever. Uh, I think developers are starting to realize that, and especially more developers are looking for for PPAs, and uh, it's changing the landscape in in how solar is is being developed in the country. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm I'm realizing as uh, <laughs> as an aside that we could probably talk for another two hours. We're going to have to start a Mondays with Manon segment <laughs> on Suncast. You'll have to see if well, you can tell, let that happen. <laughs> well, hey, I'm glad that you found this to be, <laughs> to be uh, you know, informative. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's stick in the southern cone of South America and head over to Brazil. Hot or not? Not. Um, naysayer. A naysayer, finally. Uh, not everywhere in, in Latin America is hot right now, unfortunately. And Brazil is one of those places. And you start to look at some of those macro factors that I mentioned a little bit earlier from uh, recession to political upheaval. Um, and that, that has impacted a little bit of what the energy ministry has you know, been tasked with in, in Brazil. 
But I would say that one of the one of the great things about uh, the energy sector in Brazil is that they've kind of always, to an extent, operated under their own directive, and they do things a bit independent. I mean, of course, they're reliant on, um, you know, the government funding and, and so on and so forth, but they kind of keep it strictly based on uh, what's exactly needed uh, in in terms of, of generation. And, you know, that's, I, I, for, for a Latin American country, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a tremendous, that's something tremendous uh, to keep in mind. Yeah. On that note, you know, despite all of these factors, I think the biggest thing uh, that's led to, you know, some of the decrease in PV expectations in Brazil is, you know, just a lot more supply uh, on the grid than there is than there is demand right. um, because the country is undergoing a recession right now. Uh, you know, energy demand year on year has been down uh, close to two percent on a national level. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lessening of a drought. Uh, There's a lot more hydro capacity. We talk about hydropower in Brazil, um, you know, as as kind of just an out there term. But I think people really need to understand that Brazil is 75% reliant on hydropower. Um, there's just an abundance of reservoirs and dams and things of that sort in the country. A lot of, a lot of their energy comes from hydro. And so, you know, when times are good, when, when rains are good, um, you know, the, the electricity is, is really flowing in the country when it's not, that's when the government starts to look at other opportunities. And, um, so what do you, you know, what do you make of? I mean, Anil just did their annual report of mm-hmm. uh, distributed generation. Seventy-two megawatts of DG installed in Brazil. The majority of that, the vast majority PV. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I mean, and that's that's certainly accurate. Um, you know, recently in the playbook, we did a breakdown of of uh, DG installs of that seventy some odd. Um, of those 70 some odd install megawatts of installation in Brazil, about 45 megawatts of those are, are PV. And you're seeing some of those 45 megawatts in some of the larger consumption areas, larger consumption states um, in the central area where there's a lot of manufacturing. So I think what that leads me to believe in, you know, the, the Minas Gerais and the Sao Paulo's, Santa Catarina's of the, of the country um, there's a lot of projects being built to directly supply, um, either industrial or small commercial, uh, endeavors and, and, um, especially businesses in, in the country. And so, as I mentioned earlier, Brazil is one of those markets where DG is going to have a really solid place and a solid future. Um, but it's it certainly doesn't surprise me hearing that from from Anil uh, in their in their latest report. <laughs> yeah, well, it still remains a market where uh, inflation is, um, is is quite high and uh, right, and the and the interest rates are quite a bit higher. Nonetheless, I think it's going to be an interesting play in 2017 to see how people finance the deals. And if they can find financing mechanisms that work, 
uh, I, I think that despite the negative market economics, there will still be deals to be had because, I mean, in Brazil, if you look at the the types of commercial customers you just referenced, you have folks paying the equivalent of 18 to 20 cents a kilowatt hour. Right, absolutely. And, you know, this isn't to say that the market is dead there. Um, absolutely not. I think even from a utility perspective, there are several projects that are currently under construction. They've already broken ground. We can expect some of those to come online in 2017. And so it's one of those places where, uh, you know, a simple turn of just fundamental economics and and kind of the way in which the the market trajectory or the economic trajectory will be um, can really set off uh, a, a reaction in the other direction where the market then just suddenly starts growing again. And Brazil Brazil certainly has a lot of potential. Make no mistake about that. Um, they've just you know that it, it's just been kind of the perfect storm of a, a lot of different events. And you referenced financing in, from a project standpoint. Brazil, in my opinion, still tried to create something out of nothing from the standpoint that they were requiring uh, affordable financing uh, through their development bank to come in conjunction with local content uh, requirements and so if you if you use up to you know 100% of local content on your your PV systems, you can obtain you know really attractive, affordable financing from BNDES and well that's fine and well but there was no there's no uh, manufacturing in in the country and and so how do you expect so you're basically saying if you build it they will come but they haven't come yet. So what are we building? And, um, you know, currency is a big risk factor because you can't negotiate these contracts in uh, U.S. dollars in Brazil. They're all in in hay ice. So um, it's kind of led to a, a, a bit of a conundrum for developers because while these projects are attractive on the surface, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers into obtaining that financing into obtaining that local content. Um, and so I think that's the biggest push that we'll see, not from an actual project development standpoint, but sort of the the build out of the sector beyond that from, from an upstream standpoint. Very interesting. Well, we can round out the South America market by tapping into Colombia, hot or not? I would say hot. Uh, and I think Colombia catches a lot of folks off guard um, from the sense that, you know, we haven't particularly talked about it at length, um, you know, from our standpoint. But there are a lot of opportunities in, in Colombia from uh, a DG standpoint. Uh, most of the generation so far for solar, whatever whatever does exist, is entirely self-consumption. Um and, you know, some of them are in, in with hybrid systems as well. So that trend will continue. I think that there are a lot of opportunities um, in the sort of sub 20 megawatt range um, because there's less red tape to cut through. I think those projects are easier to interconnect into some of the uh, coastal region nodes. And uh, I think we're going to start to see a lot more 
um, they're they're kind of Chilean PMGD like projects in the one to nine megawatt mm. uh, range that you know that can supply to you know manufacturing bases or or small commercial. Very interesting. Very interesting. I was going to ask you about the prospect of utility deals, and it sounds like you're uh, confirming some of the suspicions I have and, and and rumors heard in the market that there may in fact be a a potential for small utility deals in Colombia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, emphasis on uh, the you know small utilities uh, segment from the standpoint Colombia is a little different than. Uh, some other LATAM markets. There are there is no public utility. Uh, Colombia operates on, uh, only under private utilities, and so the impetus for adding renewables generation has to come from the regulatory bodies uh, in the government. And you know, as of recently, the 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 most recent expansion energy expansion roadmap there, there's been only like 50, 150 megawatts of solar targeted by by. Uh, 2035, yeah. and um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of laughable because I, I I expect 150 megawatts to be surpassed by you know maybe by the end of this year or or midway next year. Interesting. So there's that much, there's that much uh, undercurrent and expectation for Colombia. Very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. We um. Yeah, maybe we'll have a, a follow-up call specifically talking about Colombia. But let's jump over to Central America. And I'm going to throw Central America and Caribbean into a pile here because we've uh, – not to de, uh, to diminish them as a market, but for time, let's look at Central America and the Caribbean. Maybe you can pull out any particular markets that you do think are hot or any markets that are perceived as hot that really should not be. Yeah, so I think uh, El Salvador recently uh, carried out a, a tender of theirs. That is the third such tender that uh, PV has been a part of, and they contracted 120 megawatts of solar there uh, among uh, four projects. I think what's most interesting about that development is the sense that they were able to keep PPA prices um, pretty low uh, in about the 50 megawatt, $50 per megawatt hour range. Um, it, El Salvador is one of those one of those markets where there is more risk. Um, there's a lot more space for private projects to take on capacity, either through government auctions or through direct PPAs. Um, there is a reliance on the spot market uh, for opportunities there. Um, and, and having that reliance on the spot market can also expose you to, you know, obviously a little bit more risk. Whereas in the Costa Rica's, Honduras, and, and Nicaragua's of the world, there is less risk because the government leads a lot more uh, of the charge uh, on a utility scale. And, uh, you know, they, they tend to kind of get more involved and see the projects through a lot more. And that's why you have a little bit more stability in that standpoint. So I think if you contrast El Salvador with um, other Central American markets like Costa Rica, Honduras, and Nicaragua, you see in those markets uh, that there is less risk to develop. And that's because there's a lot more government participation through the process. There's a lot more auctions, mm -hmm. um, you know, long-term contracts issued. And, and, you know, there's a pretty strict vetting of 
uh, projects and developers there. Yeah. And so, um, let me, you know, let me, it, let me drill down to that for a second. So you're yeah. suggesting that, um, for, for example, that Costa Rica uh, is a potentially uh, favorable market and that Nicaragua is a potentially favorable market. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and, yeah, so, so I, I, let me let me kind of caveat that a little bit. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that they are interesting markets for solar. Ah, okay. Uh, I do think that they are markets that are less risky, but I think the development for solar in Costa Rica and Nicaragua, especially, are is a little bit lower. I think wind is still sort of the more preferred. Uh, technology for the governments in both of those areas. And so you're going to see a lot more development there. Yeah. Um, I think Honduras, a little bit more. Honduras had a pretty solid year in 2015. They right. added, you know, they went kind of gangbusters um, with with capacity additions in 2015. I, I think they added a total of almost 400 megawatts um, right. in, in, in that year alone. But you know, since then, things have cooled off there. So those three markets, while they are less risky, I think the governments also do tend to have, uh, you know, preconceived notions of which technology they prefer would succeed just based on existing mm -hmm. capacity and, and, you know, factors like that. Whereas I think in the Guatemala, Panama, El Salvador's of the world, where there is a little bit more risk because it is an open market, you'll find that PV is much more able to thrive than, uh, you know, uh, let's say a wind or right. Um, right. You know, or something like that. I understand. And what about, is there anything in the Caribbean that we should be keeping an eye on? Cuba. Cuba, man. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm going to Cuba actually right after I go to Mexico. Um, not for work, just to do some people-to-people -people travel. Um, but I, I think a, a, a thawing of the international relations uh, between Cuba and, and several key markets, I think, have opened up this notion that, okay, this is a country that is starting to build out more infrastructure, starting to have a spike in energy demand uh, mm -hmm. that solar can be a part of. Yeah, and so you, you so you're saying that Cuba is uh, is is obviously it's an upshoot market. It's going to grow, it but it has more potential from a developer's perspective to think about than uh, a Jamaica or a Dominican Republic. I think so. I think it has a lot more potential um, than the two of those in the long term. I think in the short run, you definitely would look at DR and and Jamaica as having a track record of, of developing projects on the utility scale, um, as well as some DG projects in, in the Dominican Republic. Um, but if you kind of look at some of the market trends in Cuba and you look at their reliance on, their past reliance on oil and how that has um, started to dry up just based on you know the, the continuing uh, opening of the market to to the world, um, you know, there's they they had a sweetheart deal with Venezuela uh, from an oil perspective, but that got nixed mm -hmm. last year, mm -hmm. um, and and as a result, you know, they're trying to seek alternatives to the oil the generation that they had from from oil and diesel. 
Well, we will all certainly be keeping we'll all certainly be keeping our eyes on Cuba for sure. Uh, and and uh, I can't wait for the first time I get to go down and try and develop some projects in Cuba. Been waiting for that. For yeah, while. for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, I have uh, every reason to believe that we'll have you back on the show, Manon. So I will. Uh, I'm going to condense a bit the the remainder of the questions that we had sort of uh, teed up here. But I do have a lingering question. Is Latin America still the fastest growing solar market in the world? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. And I think it's growing even faster than um, previously expected. We, of course, have markets that are on the rise, um, markets that, that have continuously uh, been adding installations on a yearly basis like Chile. But I, you know, I, I tend to look at some of these pipelines. I, I have a, a database where I'm tracking projects all the time. And, you know, the, the amount of interest, not only internationally, but regionally um, by developers, by, by financiers, um, has just exploded in, you know, just the over one and a half years that I've been covering this. And so um, it's a it's a really tremendous market. Just to give you a perspective, last year in Latin America, uh, the region as a whole added a little under uh, two gigawatts of solar, mm -hmm. about 17, 1,700 megawatts. This year, we're expecting about 4,300 megawatts of solar to wow. be installed. And that's uh, if, if you kind of look at Latin America on a global perspective and compare LATAM with, you know, regions, uh, other regions like North America or um, Europe or APAC, that's about a six and a half percent share of the global PV demand. Yeah. And you compare that in 20, just as recent as 2014, uh, being at, you know, almost one and a half percent. 0.4% in, in 2013, that's uh, that's quite a gain in, in a short period of time. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. Latin America still the, has been the dark horse and is still leading the charge in converting from dirty fossil fuels to clean energy. So right. um, we're really, you know, it's really pleased to hear that. And uh, that and more in-depth information can be found in... Uh, the latest edition of the LATAM PV playbook. Uh, where, where can people hear more about what you're working on, Manon? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in addition to some of the research notes and briefs that I put out uh, on a regular basis, you can find all of those at gtmresearch.com. Um, you can also check out uh, my Twitter feed, um, my first name underscore last name. Uh, and I, I post some interesting things about the region uh, continually on that. I follow some really tremendous voices in the space as well. And so, you know, um, I'll be sure to highlight some of those and definitely look forward to uh, to sort of hearing from some of you all. If you have questions, um, comments, anything like that, uh, please go on our website at gtmresearch.com and, and you can download uh, you know, a summary version of the playbook and kind of get a feel for some of the things that I cover on a regular basis.
Yeah, and we'll be linking to that, of course, in the show notes of today's show, as well as uh, your uh, your contact in the Twitter sphere and all the other good ways that you can get in touch with Manon. I'll even upload his personal cell phone. Just kidding. <laughs> well, let's end <laughs> well, today with uh, the same way I always end, Manon, a bold prediction. Manon, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? And I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up. So think about that and answer when I call back. Okay. All right. All right. So crystal ball. This always uh, this is always interesting. You know, we talk about all these d- dynamics in the market, and uh, I I'm gonna I'm I'm kind of an optimist here, and. I kind of look again at Brazil and, you know, having spent some time down there, um, chatting with a lot of the folks that I've spoken with and obviously recessions are not easy to come out of, but I think that with all of the growing pieces in place in the market there, uh, with a lot of the, uh, project developments that we're seeing, I think Brazil will actually surprise uh, surprise my projections. I, I, I've only got them having about 700 megawatts of, of installed capacity this year. I think that they actually might beat that. Uh, and you know, some folks might look at that and be like, "Are you kidding me?" But um, you know, especially from a DG perspective, uh, I think that they'll double what they have so far cumulatively uh, in 2017. And then based on what they have in the pipeline, I think uh, we'll be hearing. I think Brazil will will surprise a lot more of us than we expected. Well, if Brazil surprises or Colombia becomes the dark horse, you'll hear about it here on Suncast. Manon, really glad to have you on the show. And we, we really got to uh, think about doing this Manon Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would be great. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, this is a, you know, a fantastic source of information. I, I've, you know, been in touch with you for a while, and I uh, definitely put together a great show. So more than happy to to make another appearance or several appearances if you'll have me on. Bring you on as a regular. All right, man. Well, thanks, man. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. Wow, that was really good. I'm going to have to probably go back and listen to that episode with my own notepad and pen and uh, and extract some of the goodies for myself again. Manon, thanks for being on the show. We definitely want to get you back on a regular basis, my friend. Such context and depth of information. For those of you out there who wish you had a Manon on the line or maybe you just wish you had a Nico on the line, know that... In many cases, we are totally accessible. You know, Manon just gave you his contact information. Mine, obviously, uh, is on LinkedIn and at mysuncast.com. Don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to know how we could collaborate, how I can help you. If you got a project that's stuck and need financing, if you just need connections or, uh, or networking opportunities, that's what we're here for. Let me know how I can help you, and that's how the world moves forward, friends. Thanks a lot for listening. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at 
mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.